0: Our scripture reading this morning will be, uh, come from Genesis, the second chapter, uh, beginning at verse 18, if you'd like to follow along with me in your uh, Bibles. Again, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should live uh, be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he uh, took of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which uh, the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore the man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and were not ashamed.
1: What Stuart read for us is God's institution, implementation of the marriage relationship. From the beginning, we're going to see... As part of our study this morning, marriage being used as a way to try to trap Jesus as it relates to the resurrection, which isn't the only occasion in the Bible. We know another occasion that a group used it to try to point out divorce and some type of contradiction and trying to trap Jesus and were unsuccessful. What I want us to think about this morning is whether or not we ask sincere questions and not insincere questions. When we ask questions What is our intent? Are we asking to know the truth, or do we have another motive or reason? As it relates to spiritual things, it is important that we are genuine and honest in asking questions, understanding that the Lord knows our hearts. We cannot ask ask insincere questions, like the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and think they're going to be acceptable for God. Most of our study will take place this morning in Luke chapter 20, if you'll please turn there. Luke chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 19 because of the context here. This is right after the parable of the wicked vine dressers. And Jesus gives this parable. And we said that a parable is a story, a comparison side by side, which makes a point. Now, the question here is did the chief priest and scribes understand the point Jesus was making? Luke chapter 20, verse 19 provides us the answer. It says, And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. So that was their response. And again, Jesus, through miracles, through fulfilling a prophecies, through quoting accurately God's word, manifest that he was the Messiah. Yet they weren't interested in truth or evidence. They were interested in doing what they wanted to do. It says, But they feared the people, having leaders that make decisions not on the basis of truth, but on the basis of trying to appease a group of factions, it makes us think of modern day politics. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they understood what he was teaching, and they understood it was directed towards them. And instead of looking at themselves and considering, maybe we should respond in a different manner, because this is a truth that's being taught. They instead are going to pursue and try to destroy him. First by trying to trap him. And as we see as this progresses or digresses, this would probably be a better term, they're going to seek to kill him. So it says in Luke chapter 20, verse 20, So they watched him, that being these leaders. So we have the chief priests and scribes talked about, and we're going to see the Pharisees mentioned, and the Sadducees. And it's important to understand that these are different factions. They both proclaim to be God's people. But there are different factions and groups. And these groups were not authorized by God. God didn't say divide up into the group of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that's important to understand the questions they ask. Because they're going to ask questions that they don't even believe themselves. But they're not going to be forthright and say that. As we're going to see. It says in verse 20, so they watched him. So, so they're not watching Jesus like we should watch him, as an example of what to do. And sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. So it doesn't surprise us that when Jesus is delivered up to the Roman government, that that was their plan, that was their intent. They, wanted, they didn't want to be the ones to make the decision for various reasons. And so, but think of the links they go to here. Espionage and spies. And they're going to pretend to be righteous. How about just being righteous because that's what God wants of you. Remember, these are religious people that we're talking about here. People who claim to be religious. And more than that, they are leaders. And we've been studying in Isaiah and Jeremiah about the failure of leadership. Following false leaders. So it's important for us to know that we are each individually accountable and responsible and so they're trying to set this up so we think of the CIA and we think of espionage or spying well again I would submit to you that humankind has always been the same with their scheming and doing what they want and so nothing new under the sun as Solomon observed in Ecclesiastes it says in verse 21 then they asked him saying teacher we know that you say and teach rightly now remember they pretended to be righteous, so, so they're, they're buttering them up. They're trying to use flattery. And you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So we know what their intent was and we know that they're using methods of flattery. Politics, a good definition we could think of of politics is trying to get what you want to. And some people try to get what they want through through legitimate means. Other people are willing to go to any lengths to try to achieve power. And I couldn't help but think of verse 21 in reference where it says in John 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. A clear and obvious teaching that there's only one path to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. So they bring in the government by the question of whether or not they should pay taxes to Caesar. And we know even in our own day and time that taxes can be a very controversial topic. We know at the beginning of this nation's history, one of the concerns that the colonists had was being taxed and overtaxed and taxed unfairly, especially as it relates to the British. Look at verse 23, though. Jesus in this whole time is aware of what's going on. Now, You might say, well, he was aware because of his spiritual abilities. Being fully deity. But we can also be aware for ourselves by using reasoning, by putting on the word of God. And it allows us to discern between right and wrong. So it says in verse 23, but he, being Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? And that caused me to think, can we do things in our lives which test Jesus? We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. And just like we read, or Stuart read for us, about the institution of marriage, if God created marriage, that means he's the author of it, which means he has the right to set the rules. He has the right to set the boundaries. He has the right to determine how that marriage should be done and carried out. Likewise, that's what they're trying to get him on. They're trying to reference, again, trap him in this question. That somehow he is against the Roman government. But look at the response that Jesus gives in verse 24. Show me a denarius. And Jesus asked this question. So we know about the insincere questions they were asking. Like the one they just did about whether it's it's lawful uh, to pay taxes to Caesar. But look what Jesus asked a question to get them on track. Show me a denarius. Whose image an inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesars, take time to look at our currency. Whose inscription is on it? Now it does say in God we trust, but we know that's a phrase and a slogan that this country has abandoned several, and including the leadership, long ago. And yet we know that that can be an idol that people serve. But anyway, He says in verse 25, And he said to them, again this being Jesus, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So again, public demonstration, using the very thing they were questioning, as an object to teach a lesson to them. And notice something else here. And to God the things that are God's. So we have to recognize... You know We've talked a lot recently in studying 1 Corinthians about liberty. But we have to also recognize, as Paul had said, that he was not going to use liberty as a stumbling block. He's not going to use liberty as a means to destroy someone's understanding or growth in the gospel. But it's important for us to realize there are things that God does not care about. But there are things that are God's. And if he tells us how to live and how to do certain things, It's not up for question. Why? Because he's the creator. He created us. He has the power. He has the authority. And he has the right to make regulations that we are required to follow. So just take a moment to think of verse 25 to render to God the things that are God's. Verse 26. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Now, if they marveled at it, you'd think that would be a turning point. Wow, look what he just said. Maybe we should reconsider our own position. Maybe we should reconsider what we're thinking. But of course, unfortunately, that's not going to lead to that situation in most cases. So Jesus gives this brilliant and public response. Sooner or later, truth will silence evil. And let us remember that. And we know it might be when the Lord returns... We, we know it might be, uh, again, at a point where God decides, as he has in the past, that he's going to execute his eternal plan. We know that heaven exists. We know examples from the Bible of Noah and the ark and a f- flood being brought on. We know about other occasions like Sodom and Gomorrah where their cities were destroyed. So again, we have to be sober-minded. We have to watch and we have to make sure that we're obeying God. So they give it their try. So here comes another group now. Here come the Sadducees. Now they're going to have an attempt to try to trap Jesus. So it says in verse 27, Then some of the Sadducees, now this is a key point here, who deny that there is a resurrection. Why would they ask question about the resurrection when they don't even believe in it? This was one of the major differences between the Pharisees and Sadducees. Another difference was, is that the Pharisees believed in angels, which is another important point, and you'll see angels being used here in a few moments, whereas the Sadducees did not. So it makes you wonder, then, what was the purpose of their religion? Well, they believed that they were the chosen people of God, and they were a special group, and it benefited them in several ways in their eyes, so they were part of this faction or group. And any of us can be loyal to a faction or group, But our loyalty to that faction group, whether it be some type of organization, whether it be our job, whether it be our family or friends, cannot override or take precedence over God and our loyalty to Him, and our loyalty furthermore to Christ. So it says again in verse 27, that some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to Him, that being Jesus, and asked Him, and now when they ask these questions again, are these sincere questions or insincere questions? When we know from the context of the text, they're not seeking what truth is. They already don't believe in the resurrection. A better question they could have asked is, we we don't believe in the resurrection. So please explain to us why there's a resurrection. But they didn't do that, because that wasn't their intent. Their intent was to gain something from it. And it's important for us as disciples to recognize this. And to discern when we have a conversation about spiritual things. There is a point where we can end that conversation. If people are not seeking what the truth is, but seeking to belittle us or to make us look foolish or to push their own worldly doctrine, then we have every right, and it is wise for us to stop pursuing that. There are certain occasions where, again, we can find out intent, and if it's foolishness, then don't participate in that. We know, for example, that Paul talks about this New Testament about endless genealogies. And he warns Timothy about allowing those types of things to take place. So it says in verse 28, saying, Teacher, Moses, so always notice, remember when Jesus was tempted by by Satan in the wilderness? And what did Satan use to tempt him? He used scripture, right? Here, they're going to say, well, Moses the prophet. On another occasion, Abraham. So, So these are the prophets that they supposedly believed. But if they would have believed these prophets, they would have acted like these prophets. They would have seeked to follow the will of God. Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife, and he dies without children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his children. And we know that that's what it says uh, in the Old Testament. So... Now, the next few verses, if, if your head starts to spin, it, it should, because it's one of those, well, what if this happens, and this happens, and this happens? And, and again, we've all had conversations like that. I, I think, for example, with smaller children sometimes, and they'll just keep asking questions, well, why, why? you know, go clean the room, why, and they, they keep a continuous uh, string of questions along. They're not seeking the truth. They're trying to delay going to clean the room. In this case, they have an intent. So follow along here with the scenario, and I know you know it. Verse 29, For there were seven brothers, and they could have used Dana, but they could have said six, they could have said twenty, they could have kept this thing going on for a long time if they wanted to. And the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, and he died twice. Then the third took her, and in like manner the seven also, and left no children, and died. Last of all, the woman died also. So, 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 this hypothetical scenario to set up this question: Is it a sincere question or an insincere question? Well, you know the answer already. Verse thirty-three. Therefore, in the resurrection, did they believe in the resurrection? We already established they didn't. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife, and you know they. Oh, we we got it now. There, no, we, Jesus is going to be able to get out of this one. Just like I'm sure a few moments ago. Is it lawful to pay tax? Oh, we've got it. And you think that this group would have learned. And again, with the teacher, remember, Jesus didn't just teach for a week or a month. It was over three and a half years that he taught. And, and time and time again, he demonstrated who he was. Wednesday, we're going to do an overview of, of the Bible. And it's interesting how people want to question its legitimacy and its authenticity. So come back Wednesday night and we'll talk about how it answers those questions beyond a doubt. There's no doubt that the Bible is true. It's not here for discussion. And what people have to do is they have to come with hypothetical scenarios, things like evolution, or they have to pull out a new detail without any context to a situation to try to demonstrate their point. And we see the same type of foolishness here and we certainly see it today in our day and time. So let's see what Jesus answers them. Verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them, Sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. They marry. We already talked about it being established in Genesis 2. Verse 35. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age. So he's talking about the current time, but now he's going to talk about the future. To attain that age and the resurrection from the dead. So now he's teaching that there is a resurrection from the dead, which he continually taught. On Wednesday, I did the invitation and we read the account about Lazarus and that Lazarus had two sisters and they were mourning, but again, their recognition of the resurrection being real. And now we see it here in this context neither marry nor are given in marriage. So he's talking about the present, the physical world versus heaven and how it's different. There's not marriage in heaven. So that answers a question that sometimes people can have, which would be a legitimate question. Verse 36, Nor can they die anymore. Can't die anymore. You talk about a deal. You talk about an imperishable crown, as we've studied recently in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I have this crown that cannot be taken away. My spiritual body doesn't have to die. doesn't have to be separated from God is absolutely remarkable when we think about it. Verse 36 again, Nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels. Now remember, the Sadducees don't believe in angels. So he hits them directly with the fact that there is a resurrection, and then that there are angels. And at the spiritual realm, we are equal to angels. For they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. And we know that Paul says, look, if the resurrection is not true, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But it is true. And because it's true, victory has been won over death. What a remarkable and astounding response that Jesus gives to the Sadducees here. Now take a look at verse 37. Remember they brought up Moses? He's going to answer with Moses. But even Moses, it says showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. When he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. So he's going to cite Moses. If you look real quick, and we talked about this passage recently. Hebrews chapter 11. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, we know that in reading and studying the Old Testament, that Abraham was to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And and, and so again, if you know the story about the process him and his wife went through to get that son, the mistakes they made as a result of it, the fact that God, God said this is going to be fulfilled. I have a promise. And we can believe in the resurrection. Because the historical fact that Jesus was resurrected. Another reason we can believe is because God fulfills his promises. And as we're going to talk about on Wednesday, one of the things when you think about the Bible, it is a a, a collection of books, a work of fulfilled promises, and the promise to come. If you ask what is the basic theme of the Bible, it is salvation. And he is again offering salvation. And it says in Hebrews chapter eleven, verse seventeen, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, so God had a purpose in saying, "Sacrifice your son." He's testing him. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, "In Isaac, your seed shall be called." Concluding what? Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, Abraham knew that God could resurrect his son, could raise him from the dead. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that he's able to raise them from the dead. So their focus is wrong. Their focus is about who's given in marriage. Their focus should be, can I be resurrected from the dead? Which again is a more legitimate question. Now, I want you to notice that in the Matthew 22 account, there's a addition of facts which really gives us some astounding information. If you look very quickly at Matthew 22, verses 29-30, let's see what that account adds to what we just read here. Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, "Now this is the response to the Sadducees again. You are mistaken. So this idea that Jesus somehow just accepts or tolerates." Uh, Error, incorrect statements. He doesn't. He addresses it. As we've talked about several times in the Sermon on the Mount, you have read, now I say to you. He's asserting his authority. He's correcting them, and he's even adding to their understanding of what they should respond to. Jesus answered and said that you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures. Now they had scriptures, and they could cite scriptures, But what's it mean to know the scriptures? It's not just being able to recite them. But it's being able to understand them. And you only understand things when you can verbalize them. When you can teach them to others. And that's what's taking place here. Not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Abraham knew the power of God. And he knew when he offered up his son. That he concluded that God was able to resurrect him. Verse 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, and we but are like angels of God in heaven. And, and so we think about that, and we know that the world incorrectly portrays angels in movies and novels and those types of things, but we get this here. Okay, back to the Luke 20 account. Verse 39. So what's the response of the scribes going to be? Now, it should be, boy, he really answered all our questions and uh, you know maybe we need to look at ourselves again. And again, it goes to this point. Someone can marvel. Someone can wonder. Someone can have a, a response that seems positive. But if they don't internalize it or apply it to themselves, then it could be useless. And unfortunately, we know that some are going to respond. But there are many who don't respond. Why? Because they're trying to maintain their power, they're trying to maintain their position. What is it in our lives that can prevent us from responding correctly to what God clearly teaches to us through His Son and through His Scriptures? Verse 39 of Luke 20, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. Well, if that's true, if He gave a correct answer, spoke well, they should have responded. And then verse 40, But after that, they dared not question question Him anymore. So they were going to ask insincere questions. And we know that now, when they can't trap him, when the questions can't be answered, instead of responding, they're going to try to find a different avenue. They got put in their place. Now they have to uh, find other means to deal with Jesus. And again, let's apply it to us. Can we do the same thing? When the truth is right in front of us, when it's clear... Can we look for a different path, a different way, and a different avenue? Because we don't want to, we want to avoid what the truth is. We don't want to make the changes. We want—we don't want to submit to God, which is basically what it comes down to. And then it's interesting because right after that, you know, because they brought up Moses. And so now uh, Jesus is going to bring up David. Someone else they thought of. In Luke 20, verse 41, so this is, this they didn't ask about David. He's going to teach them about David. Look what it says in verse 41. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now now he's asking a sincere question. He's asking a legitimate question. So he asked this question that he's now going to answer himself so they know. Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, there again is the tie-in with the Old and the New Testament, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, Till I make your enemies your footstool. And this is from Psalm 110, verse 44. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? He asks them a question that he wants them to think about. But notice he then doesn't answer because he already did. He is citing the fact again. Just like when he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's asserting his deity. And he's asserting that he was there in the creation... And he was there before Abraham, he was there before David. And he's along a lineage that God planned, and he is the true Messiah. That's what he's proving with these statements. Now again, we might sit here like, okay, and say, okay, and may not be impressed by it. But look at the audience that listened to this, and see their response to it. In verse 45. Then, in the hearing of all the people, so he said this, he was talking to the Sadducees, but there's a whole group here. He said to his disciples... So now he is going to direct his comments specifically to his disciples. Verse 46. Beware of the scribes. So again, a warning to us about who we follow, who we listen to. There's a lot of people out there who want to tell us what God says, what the Bible says, who Jesus is. We have to make sure that we're following what the scriptures say. And again, the Lord gave us the ability to discern things for ourselves. The Lord gave us people that can help us. The Lord gave us a body of his people, including a local group, that can help guide us in the path that's right. But we have to know who to listen to. Because we know that there's a lot more false information out there than true information. But we know what the true source is. Again, another subject that we'll start exploring Wednesday night as we start our survey in the Bible that will go about uh, a little under a year and a half. Beware of the scribes. Now again, what, what, what's in it for them? What's their incentive? Why are they playing these games? Why are they asking these insincere questions? Who desire to go along, to go around in long robes. Love greetings in the marketplaces. They like the fame. The best seats in the synagogues. And the best place, to feast. That, so they're benefiting from being these leaders and by holding this type of power. And then again, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. So we know that the Lord is going to judge, and we know that the Lord's going to hold people accountable. So he exposes the motives of the scribes. We need to be on alert as to the motives of the questions we ask. We need to be aware of the motives that others might ask. And that's why, again, if we study with someone, let's use the Bible. And let's get to the major subject. And the major subject is whether or not someone is saved. Whether or not someone is going to be resurrected. Have they responded in the proper manner? Are they living in a way in which they will be resurrected? How can I be saved from sin? That's the important question. And the only way is through Jesus. If you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, there is a clear process the Bible teaches to receive the grace and mercy of God. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. You have to repent of your sins. You have to be baptized for remission of those sins. Again, Scripture is very plain on this subject. And then... You have to be obedient and live a life and conform. As it says again, and Clay taught recently in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. We are to be transformed. We're to bury the old man, as it says in Romans 6, and arise a new man, new creature. And we see that process. If you're someone here who is a follower and disciple, but you stumbled, as we talked about this past Wednesday night, with a prodigal son. If you return to God. He will turn will return to you. Like a father running. Seeing his son afar off. Who is coming back home. God wants us to return to him. God wants us to be in heaven for eternity. If you need prayers of the congregation. If there is some other need we can help you with. Please come forward and let us know as we stand and sing.